Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts Mr. Reardon, I'd like you to believe something. I hated my life. Only I wasn't strong enough to get away from it. All I could do was dream of some big payoff that would let me quit the whole racket. The Swede was my chance to make my dream come true. I could only be alone with him for a few hours. But Colfax was always there. I thought it was hopeless. And then suddenly my chance came. Hi, everybody. I'm Dan. And I'm Mike. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics. This week, we're going to do a Dan pick. We're going to be doing what movie, Mike? The Killers. The Killers, 1944, written by Anthony Veller, based on the um, story by Ernest Hemingway, ghostwritten in parts by John Huston, and directed by Robert Sadmeck. This was a Dan pick. I love this movie. I texted Mike, I don't know, every like six seconds, asking to please watch The Killers so we can do it. And Mike has just seen it. We have not discussed it at all. That's the premise of the show. In part one, we talk about our overall take on the movie. Mike, let's talk. Go. This is a movie that I knew about and had seen clips from, but had not seen all the way through. Uh, I admit that when I first heard about this movie, I thought it was gimmicky for the reason that it has a gimmick, which is that it's based on a famous short story. And then they're going to fill in the details that the that the story don't tell you into a 90 minute movie. I will admit that the, the movie really works. Uh, it, it sucks you into itself. It uh, it does what all the things that noir does well. It has you uh, fall in love with its uh, femme fatale. It makes you sympathize with um, people who commit robberies. It's uh, it tells a very complicated narrative of a triple cross, but pieced out in such a way that you're still left in suspense until the last ten minutes. But you can comprehend everything that's gone on. Uh, it gets away with really romantic set pieces, not, ju- not uh, just to steal an extra moment um, when Burt Lancaster's in the cell with the guy who takes him into the robbery job and they've got all the constellations, ri- you know, uh, written on the wall. And he says that this it's the best place to study the stars because it's lights out and all you have to do is look up at the sky. And he took the book out of the prison library. Uh, it just nice touches, nice touches like that. I think that that make the movie work. Um and an and an every man to draw you in, uh, in uh, Burt Lancaster uh, pushed him out uh, for the role as the Swede in an insurance investigator uh, who frames the whole narrative, and really makes it work. So I I feel like they took really no material, uh, and they they wove it into something that really that really works. And even for a late noir, it does it does all the things that noir does well. 
And it also does all the things that the story does well. So that's my take on the overall thing I want to talk about. So the Hemingway story, The Killers, came out in 1927. And if you watch the film, the part in the beginning where William Conrad and the other guy come in, hey, bright boy, the part in the diner. And I know you love the story as much as yes. I do, right? So the, the story's great. It's it's word for word, you know, plus or minus a few words. And the story ends when Nick Adams, Hemingway's serial character, runs up to see Anderson and says, these guys were here. They're going to kill you. And in the story, Anderson says, uh, I'm through with all that running around and turns around and faces the wall. That's where the film kind of, you never find out what he did in the story because the story is about this innocent kid, Nick Adams, facing evil. And what evil is like in the story is that it, it's you're you're so corrupt and evil to the degree that you can have lunch and you can have dinner and you can make jokes about it, that the two guys are not snarling, you know, uh, hand rubbing killers. They're, they're like a Hemingway says they're like an old vaudeville act and, and they're dumb because they keep calling everyone else bright boy, etc. The story ends when Nick comes back and tells George and Sam at the lunch counter, he says, I can't stand to sit here and think about the Swede in that room waiting to get shot. And the last line of the story is George looks at him and says, well, you better not think about it. Now, of course, you can't stop thinking about it. Neither can Nick. You can't you can't come up with a satisfactory answer for how evil exists in the world. So I love what you said about it being gimmicky, because the gimmick is now we're going to tell you what he did. That runs counter to the, the themes of the story, which is that it doesn't matter what he did we're all going to get it whether it's something and they, they try to figure it out. But I think that the movie takes that moment and it, and it, it has him die. And then it does something that reminded me very much of another movie we love, which is citizen Kane, right? In citizen Kane, the guy dies in the beginning and you have a character trying to find out what his dying word was here. Evan O'Brien's mission is to find out why the guy didn't run. Because that's a classic thing in movies and in life, right? Why did he stay there and let them murder him? And that's what the movie, you know, tries to figure out. But this, and okay, as a purist, I feel the same way. That's why I wasn't really sold on right. the movie when I heard about it, or I, I wouldn't rush out to see it. But nothing makes this movie work like Ava Gardner. The the <laughs> The desire to want to watch this movie works in exactly the same way that it works on the Swede which is that I have my love of purity on my arm. Like, I don't actually want to know what happens in this story. And then she's, you know, um, standing next to the piano and it's like, oh, another hour. Okay, no problem. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, Please continue. You, Ava Gardner walks in. You're, as a good English major, you say, it's corrupt to try to fill in the details of what exactly. the did in Chicago. And therefore I am better than this. And then Ava Gardner walks on the screen and you say, Hemingway who? Are I'm not better who? than this. Yeah, uh, please continue. <laughs> Because and, and her entrance is so good because it's so fatalistic, right? So it's fatalistic that the guy doesn't that Anderson doesn't move, right? But I love how when he first sees her at the party, the girl who went with him says, I knew that boat had sailed. Like she looks at him, and I love how Burt Lancaster looks at her, and he doesn't even look at her lasciviously, or he just he's almost like pained and disturbed at how good looking she is and that she's fried his brain. It's the same way that they're studying the constellations. It's not something that you can, it's not something that you can approach in the same way. It's just something that's meant to be seen from below. He looks at her and then starts making these decisions like, yes, I'll take a three-year rap for you and go to prison because you stole the spider diamond brooch and tried to hide it in the soup at the restaurant. Another great thing about this movie is how great is the long tracking shot and the whole set piece where the guy's reading the account of robbing the factory and then you watch the robbery as it happens. It's uh, 
every everything, every other gimmick about this movie is great, including the setup where um, she goes to the powder room and then takes a powder so that the two killers can shoot at the insurance man. Everything's good. And let's not forget our favorite thing is when the killers come to the lunch counter in the beginning, you hear the clickety clack of their shoes. That uh, there are some very, very clackety shoes. There's a clinky cutlery. Uh, there's every, it's it's a classic 40 sound. How do you light a match? You strike it against your shoe. Okay, welcome back. So in part two, we always talk about, you know, our key scenes or uh, scenes that are thematic uh, of the film as a whole. Dan, why don't you go first? I just want to first build on what you said about Ava Gardner, which is, I think it's so funny because as somebody who has studied and listened to Sinatra for decades and read many, many books about him, you know, Ava was, was apparently the one that, that really got into him. She was the motivation behind his one co-written song, which is I'm a fool to want you. And, and so if you watch this movie, you can think of all the women that Sinatra had, but then you watch Ava Gardner by the piano and you say, okay, right. That makes perfect sense. So my moment is when, Burt Lancaster is working at the gas station, our second noir movie where the main character is hiding out at a gas station. Out of the past? Yes, out of the past. Very good, right? So he's at the gas station and the guy comes in and says, uh, "And uh, like in great 40s movies, you just start barking at the guy at the gas station and giving him commands. And he checked the oil, I'll do this, check the tire pressure. And he says, wash the windows. And I love how he has that tiny little squirt bottle, starts doing the inside, then he gets in the car next to him. And the guy keeps trying to make him talk. And at first you're kind of like, okay, Burt Lancaster's keep it to himself. But the real problem is that he saw the license plates. They're from out of state. He knows that they're on to him. And the great thing about it is that this is not John Donne, like death be not proud. This is not Dylan Thomas. Do not go gentle to that good night. He's somebody who has like real existential dread at this moment. Like he knows that he's going to die, not as a a, a theoretical possibility. He's like, this is it. They're on to me. So when Nick in the beginning gives him the news, he's like, yeah, like it was only, it was only a matter of time before they got me. What did you do? I did something bad. And I think that, in the middle of this movie with all these great convoluted plots and robbing the hat factory and these things we love. I think that's a really powerful scene where this guy is face to face with like the, you know, with his time cards about to get punched. Yeah. And I, I think that one of the gimmicks of noir is that for, for somebody else, for the woman, for the femme fatale, for whatever reason you would commit the crime. But that's not necessarily what's going on here. For for it, I would take the rap for somebody else, right? Is is again, I, I I understand entirely what you're saying, or you know, making your dramatic last stand. But that would be that's like committing the crime. But taking but taking somebody else's rap is is what that's like. It's it's beyond uh, any sense of action or any self, sense of self dramatization. It's just laying the self down for whatever reason. Yeah. So what's your moment? Well, I I wasn't entirely sold on this movie uh, until uh, Ava Gardner drops uh, the brooch in the soup because the the guy gives the police the tip, I guess, so you can get the credit for giving the cops the tip. But then he signals with the match that the cops are here. And one minute Ava Gardner is wearing the brooch and the next minute she goes up to wipe her face and it disappears and just like a good audience member, of course, I think it's wrapped up in the napkin, but it's all the way around on, on the way to the soup. And it's only that the, the uh, detective sergeant is from the neighborhood 
and he gets the trick and he puts out the second match, which is supposed to be the all clear and intercepts it where it belongs. And I think that the trip, the triple cross in that scene sets you up to understand what's happened in the movie because we can unravel it for the next hour until you understand that she set up the Swede to steal the money, to give it to the original guy so that they can make believe that they have no idea where it is, but they've had it the whole time. Uh, but right. But to have a triple cross is more than foreshadowing. It's a, it's a tip of the hat and how the movie is going to work. And I uh, was tickled by it. I was taken in by it. And I, I just enjoyed that moment. That's, that's the moment where I settled down and said, okay, let's see what else is going to happen here. Yeah. In this movie, in the world in which this movie takes place, a triple cross is not a plot device. It's a way of life. Right. It, and it, it's an, but the point is that it's the attitude that the guy from the block would understand. Otherwise, you'd otherwise you'd miss it. Right. The, the point is for him to say, well, I had the best information I had, but it's not there. It's on its way to the kitchen. We'll intercept it wherever it is. But uh, but he understands it. it. It really is a philosophy, but it's not a philosophy that the Swede shares or can understand. Okay, welcome back. So in part three, of course, we always talk about the title or the ending or the key takeaways. I think we got the title yeah. well in hand. It was titled 20 years before the movie came out. So what, what do you make of the ending? I think the ending is great because, you know, I think ultimately the reason when, when Big Jim Colfax is dying and you still, your brain is going, well, wait a minute though, then why did he have Ole Anderson killed? Why, why have him, he was done. Like the whole thing was done. He got the money. He's with Ava Gardner. It's done. You have the big house. Everything's done. And he starts explaining why. That explanation to me to go back to Citizen Kane is it's like the sled being thrown into the fireplace. It, it, it's like, okay, whatever Rosebud meant, even by Orson Welles's and, and Mankiewicz's um, admission, it, it's really not important. It's, it's a MacGuffin, right? So at the end, it's kind of funny that when Evan O'Brien, of course, the insurance adjuster who will risk his life to, and, and carry out a gun to find out what's going on, he tells him the reasons. But I think like a lot of great noir movies, certainly like Out of the Past and certainly like The Big Sleep, not the Maltese Falcon though, which is very tight. The the messiness the messiness of it is what's fun. So when the two killers from the beginning come back at one point, that's great. When Dum Dum flips over the table and 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 grabs the gun back, is that the, the plot gets exponentially crazier, just like Primer, which we've already done, right? As Primer gets crazier, the movie gets more fun, and and you you care less about the timelines and you care more about the characters. So at the end, when Ava Gardner's saying, "Tell the truth, tell him it was me, tell him it," and, and he just dies you know that that's a really really great moment in, in what i think is a terrific movie and it's also our second film we've done where an insurance investigator gets the truth double indemnity double indemnity is the first very good so what's your take on the ending well i i actually i like the revelation and i understand what you mean when you say it's a MacGuffin, but i think it's a lot of this movie is about action and consequence can you rip off the gang for the quarter million you can, but that's not a thing that you did four years ago, five years ago, eight years ago. That ha that itself has to be a way of life. We were just talking about the triple cross as a right. way of life, right? You, you But you always have to worry that they're going to find out. You always have to worry that somebody's going to come poking around. Can you steal it? Yes, but nobody gets away with anything. Forever. And, nobody, and, and indeed, nobody does get away with anything in this movie. If you're the Swede, can you throw over your girlfriend um, for, for Ava Gardner as a, as a constellation, you can. But what you find out is that she makes a great wife. She's awesome. She knows the whole story. 
and she and she reappears right you you can make you can make whatever and that's that's actually where it where essentially he signs his own death certificate i think he signs his death certificate when he first lays eyes on her next to that piano but that's what i'm that's what i'm saying is right in the moment in the moment that he makes a de- a, a decision the consequences are lined up and and the reason that this and other film noir have to be told in reverse is because you have to you understand the consequences and then the corresponding actions and there's there's no um there's no glorification of crime or in chasing Ava Gardner it's it's all a death sentence uh and it it ends with a joke for the folks that are on the right side what do you mean by that it, so the, our our insurance adjuster gets away right uh his his boss tells him his boss tells him that your actions have no consequences, right? What he says is for doing the right thing, um, you've made, made sure that the rate for uh, 1947 of a percent or something yeah. will not be raised by, by a 10th of a, uh, a 10th of a cent or something like that, which is, which is a joke to say that you really did nothing. But if we really did, if he really did nothing, what did we just spend our last 90 minutes on? Because my emotional involvement doesn't, doesn't mean nothing. But so it's, it's about um, the consequence, it's about the consequences of evil. And I, I mean that in the same sense that when she's begging him to lie, right? Because she's she's been fingered by a deathbed confession under oath, which is very strong testimony. She wants to undo that with another deathbed confession uh, under oath, but he won't give it. And the cop who's standing there says, don't ask him to consign himself to hell. Like, don't ask him to tell a lie with his dying breath uh, and, and take away whatever chance he has. At salvation, because he's just confessed to all of us that he's guilty and told us exactly why why he's guilty. Don't take that away from him. And so, I think that everything in this movie is of consequence. I don't think it's um arbitrary. It's it's so arbitrary um, that uh, everybody's got the killers waiting for them. Everybody has death waiting for them, but not everybody has uh, the killing waiting for them, such that they deserve it. And it's it's a it's a blow that's taking six or seven years to land. Well, yeah, because Burt Lancaster knows you might get away with it for a year or four years or six years. And so he knows they're coming for him. And so when he sees that out-of-state plate and when Nick Adams comes up to his room, it's almost like a sense of relief. It's over. And that's why earlier in the film, I think it's great when he finds out that he's been the victim of the triple cross when Ava Gardner leaves and he's going to jump out the window at the hotel and kill himself. He's like, she's left me. He he's he can he can comprehend a double cross, but he's too good of a dude. He's too solid of a boxer to comprehend a triple cross. It's it's totally beyond his ken. And that's why he can't. He's almost eager to be killed. But in fact, that's what makes the emotional weight right of the movie work. Uh, if you did if you did that kind of movie today, right, if he kills the two killers and then gets away with it and goes and kills the gangster, then all you have is essentially John Wick made in 1947, right, which is how they would make the movie today. But for somebody to say, no, I deserve that is the same thing as the deathbed confession at the end. Right. And and that's why film noir, which tries to keep uh, which tries to keep metaphorical consequences out of the mix or talk about them by not talking about them. This movie's very verbal about them when he says, I did a bad thing once or when, when he confesses and she asks him to lie on his deathbed. This is a totally different moral universe uh, than, than John Wick. And that's why in the story, Anderson says, I'm through with all that running around. I'm through with all that running around. And that, because a movie's plot, is supposed to be the guy who's running around. It's like, you're going to evade the bad guys and get away with it. Like you said, it become John Wick or become wh- wh- whoever you want to be. 
And that's also what the boss of the insurance company doesn't understand. He makes a joke out of it. He says, well, what do you care? Like it's 20, remember earlier in the movie, he tells me, you know, Brian, he says, just, it's $2,500. Just who cares? Like, we'll, we'll eat it. But he's like, no, it, I, it's gnawing at him because he almost has this emotional connection to it because he's talked to the cop and he's found out the backstory. And it's kind of like, got just like us. Well, it's every, everywhere I go, there I am, right? Because I, I could... You can escape the killers, but you can't escape the gas station because you're taking the gas station with you no matter where you go. Thanks for listening, everybody. We hope you've enjoyed our conversation about the killers. You could follow us on Twitter at 15MINFilm. You could follow us on Letterboxd. Letterboxd. Let us know what to watch next. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next time.